I'm... We found the one! <laughs> we found it! My name is Tabitha Tatro. And I'm Lauren Learman. And welcome to another episode of the Performance Anxiety Podcast, the show where we realize we are living in a simulation, so you might as well eat Arby's. <laughs> Our guest today <laughs> is a local comedian, writer, actor, and also album author, album doer. We haven't really decided on the $10 word form of it. And Rick Moranis lookalike. First Stars is here with us today. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Tessa, Lauren. Excited to be here today. We are so excited to have you. Like you have done so many different things and I am excited to talk to you about most of them. (laughs) (laughs) I would would say 75, 25% of them are worth talking about. At least, at least. So what is a time that you felt like the most, like either like something happened on while you were on stage or anything like that, that kind of like just kind of threw you for a loop? Well, I would say that uh, for the most part, when I get on stage, it's pretty easy to get through things. Um, uh, You know, there's such a difference between uh, doing like a stage show, like, like a play or musical or doing... Uh, stand up and and both times have kind of been uh, lended themselves different anxiety. Uh, for instance, uh, back in 2015, I was in the Theater Guild's production of Escanab into Moonlight, and I had never stripped on stage before. And uh, there is a scene in that show that requires me to strip down to my underpants <laughs> and then uh, hold a pose for about 20, 25 minutes, the first part of Act Two. In the underpants. And uh, so all you can really do at that point, the buildup to getting to there is is the most anxious part. But once you're in that position, there's nothing you can really do about it. And so you just kind of got to let it go. You just do it. And there you are. And and that's the best way to get through that one. Uh, as far as like stand up goes, you know, uh, there's a lot of different ways that things can potentially go wrong, which can produce a lot of anxiety. But for the most part, if you follow your plan, you do allow for obviously a little bit of improv. Some of the best comics out there can can just riff away and, and do whatever they want to. Um, but you just kind of do it. And, and once you're up there, once things are flowing, once you get into your groove, you kind of forget about that feeling of anxiousness. Yeah. So kind of just like it's more of the buildup rather than actually doing it that creates the most nervousness you'd say absolutely you know once you once you take that jump it's no going back you know you can't really stop in the middle of a show and say no not never mind i'm done (laughs) that'd be like oh okay i've seen seen that happen before and uh it's it's uncomfortable for everybody involved and it's almost worse when that happens because then it's just something that follows you around and so you just keep going it it it, it ends eventually (laughs) yeah so what helps you get over that like just it's ready to go is it because you're just kind of like to put it in super bad terms just kind of pushed you off the cliff like you have to do it uh drinking helps (laughs) um Usually when you do stand-up, you get a bar tab. So if you can blow through that whole thing 10 minutes before you perform, you're pretty good. To, you're, you're good to go at that point. All no, that liquid courage. <laughs> no, it's just it's just kind of doing it, you know. Um, everybody sort of has their own uh, remedy, method, uh, ritual before a show. 
you know, I know somebody that, that they'll tune out, listen to music, not talk to anybody before they go on stage. You know, after 15 minutes of stage time, they're done. Um, I know myself, I, I say a little prayer to St. Vitus and, and hope that things go well. Uh, do you know much about St. Vitus? I don't know anything Patron, about Patron saint of uh, comics, uh, th- actors, that kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Cool I think guy. I heard Reed talk about them once. <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. Well, you know... When- I, I am a former Catholic, so my knowledge of the saints is incredibly limited. Yeah. Well, and you know, he, he was... Uh, Fun fact a little bit about St. Vitus here, you know. He was a, uh, uh, he got martyred back in 300 AD-ish, about 300 AD-ish. And a lot of people think, you know, martyred because of, of Christianity, whatever it might be. Not actually the case. He was just kind of getting on everybody's nerves with his his jokes. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, final straw was he uh, he was harassing some of the occupying forces of, of Rome in the area, and uh, they said, "St. Vitus, you gotta, you gotta cut this out. We're getting sick of you." And he said, "I got one more question to ask you, though, guys. Are you, uh, are you from this place, or are you just Roman?" Oh <laughs> no! Right there, they got him. They were like, "All right, enough for death to this guy." <laughs> He's gotta go. The puns, the puns killed him. All right, that's very good. I didn't know that. That makes. See, the only. The only exposure I have to saints, again, take that out of context, (laughs) was when I was traveling abroad when I was in my early 20s, and one of the trips I went on was to the Vatican, because I was like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, Vatican, I'm not Catholic, but I'd like to see different sorts of things. And it is packed, like really packed like i'm like wow there are a lot more people here than i thought but people have signs they're like going yeah we're going woo pope go christ go yeah go christ go essentially (laughs) fucking exactly and this was before um who i only know as cool pope came in this is when other pope was in oh uh that like uh yeah yeah that that guy guy. palpatine yeah uh (laughs) For, okay, if Palpatine was yes, oh, we're gonna, I love we're that. We're gonna get we're gonna get hate mail from the the like I, very serious. Listen, Catholics. listen, serious Catholics. I'm not trying. I'm just saying that I am not Catholic, and I went to, you know, basically be like, what is this about? And it's like I'm like, wow, everybody's cheering. Like, what's going on? And I'm sitting there, and I just kind of like look at the person next to me, and I say, if you don't mind me asking, what's going on? And they looked at me like I was on crack. And they just said, no offense to any crack users out there. And they just said, they're indoctrinating a saint today. Oh. And just immediate guilt washed over me. <laughs> because I'm like, there are some people here that have like traveled, spent so much money to be here for this. And like, this is like their life goal. And I am just some like fuck nugget off the street that just went, this looks like fun. They were, they were that <laughs> excited to see God introduce a new middle manager, huh? That's- oh my God. See, that's, what, that's what sainthood is. You know, you got the cool stuff like St. Francis being like the patron saint of animals yes. and that kind of thing. And then you got St. Elmo that people can pray to when they're having stomach issues. I yeah, mean, there's just so many saints and there's like the big ones. Like I know St. Francis. I've been to his gravesite. like back when I was in college and I was still a practicing Catholic. Um who is now a Lutheran, but that's a whole story. Um, that's weird. That was how it went for me the other way, actually. Yeah. They're, they're pretty close. I mean, it's just... 
There's a whole war about it. Me becoming Lutheran was more a happy accident than anything, but (laughs) that is neither here nor there. Um, But no, I went to um, Italy and we were in Assisi. So I went to his gravesite and I bought a rosary that has that it actually has a locket with this picture in it. And I took it down to his grave and I dipped it in the holy water there. There you go. Which was pretty, pretty cool. And I also got my friend uh, a rosary at the big cathedral in Venice, which I can't remember, but I got to sing a mass there. And then I dipped her rosary in the holy water there. And I still remember somebody coming up to me that was in my choir that had never been Catholic, super atheist, and was like, you can't do that. Holy water isn't a souvenir. And I'm like, my friend is like the most Catholic person who is not like a nun that I know. And I'm doing this for her. And she's like going to cry when I bring this home to her. Like, don't do not come mansplain this to me. Do not mansplain your atheism to me in this, the year of our Lord, 1845. (laughs) Listen, I'm just saying that I find that very fascinating. Like, as somebody who did not grow up Catholic, went to Lutheran school, but, like, was not in, like, the church of the Lutheran school, was, like, in, like, a Pentecostal church. Like, hearing about, like, oh, like, there's rosary with, like, their locket in it. Like, you know, they're, like, mm-hmm. like your Anastasia in fucking ready to find your, like, lost grandparent. I'm, like, wow. Together in Paris. <laughs> Together in Paris. Like, I, I'm, that's just so fascinating. I'm not trying to, like, dunk on it. I'm just, like, I didn't know they made stuff like that. Now, there's all sorts of saint stuff. And, you know, I just I consider it like getting like uh, some kind of a an attribute boost whenever I perform that. If you say a say a little thing to St. Vitus like I do, it's like, hey, plus three to charisma. Yes. <laughs> get that little boost. I get a buff. Get, get a temp <laughs> HP. <laughs> so I know you touched on this with like talking about already, like already ahead of me on at like going between what it feels like to do stand up comedy versus live theater. But I have seen you perform in different types of stand-up comedy in different environments. So I've seen you perform at, like, The Plus, which is the place here to go to do stand-up comedy. (laughs) Well, it was. Was. Until, you know, (laughs) the panini panini happened. But I've also seen you do comedy in a van for big events at, like, Best Night. I've never performed in a coat room before, and it was honestly amazing. I, I hate it so I had, good. I had never performed in a van. I That was also something that I had never done up to that point. So, which was, yeah. How would you compare performing in that van at that at this huge event to, like, performing at the Plus? Well, I think, uh, obviously, the size difference is, uh, is evident. You know, I think they put, what, four people mm-hmm. in that van plus the performer. So... Uh, you are doing, obviously, uh, to a smaller audience, but you're also repeating a lot of the same jokes. You know, the, the lead up to that, we all kind of had the game plan of, you know, here's your set that you're going to want to do. Don't, you know, maybe necessarily go off too far from what you normally had planned. So you're able to really, uh, like taking batting practice, honestly, <laughs> just finding the groove to do your jokes one at a time over and over again. By the end of that night, uh, my jokes were not nearly as tight because I think the performers got uh, maybe an hour of open bar. And so uh, there's a certain point where... Uh, they did. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was a certain point where my jokes did not go that fluently. And uh, anyways, um, but, you know, then you go to the plus and, you know, there's two different kinds of performances that 
that the Plus and, and really any kind of venue in Eau Claire have. You know, you have your open mics, which I always tend to be a lot more nervous at. Uh, you know, you're usually doing a little bit more new material. Um, you don't really know what to expect from the audience because a lot of times the audience at open mics are there to perform themselves, yeah. uh, especially in, in Eau Claire. Uh, I've <laughs> done some open mics in Madison and Milwaukee where it's just you're playing to a room of comics and they're not there to to hear your jokes. They're there to practice theirs, which mm-hmm. is which is fine. That's what it's there for. Um, so I never go into an open mic expecting to just kill it. <laughs> like whatever. I work out my flow, that kind of thing. Doing a show though, uh, honestly, is one of the most fun experiences that I that I've ever had uh, at the Plus. The Plus, when they do comedy, when they did comedy, was one of the most fun things in the world. You know, you have your set list, you go up there, you have your plan of what you're gonna do. You get to control things a little bit more uh, than you would if you were doing like a straight play or a musical or something like that, mm-hmm. and. You just you just go with it, you know. If if you can start strong, and and there's a certain point where you feel that you're really in your groove, nothing can go wrong. Um, I did a uh, when I I had he- I've headlined at the plus twice, and my second time headlining there, I actually went over my hour because you just get so into it, and if the audience is into it, the venue booker is gonna say, you know what, just keep going. We're, st- we're making money as long as people are here, and if they're having a good time, you might as well do it. So being able to have that little bit of control um, over what you're doing helps a little bit, I think, with um, that performance anxiety feeling, you know, knowing, oh, hey, it's all on me at this point. Being openly bisexual, as you have been, as you said, for most of your adult life, do you feel because of who you are that you have had to, like, miss opportunities or not do certain things because of who you are? Uh, maybe not necessarily miss opportunities. I think that um, there have been things that I've maybe not been included in, uh, being bisexual and married to a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of that sort of, well, how can you really be bisexual if you're married to a woman kind of feeling. And, yeah. and so I have missed out on like uh, pride shows and that kind of stuff before. But um, I think if you surround yourself with the right people, and, and I think this is true, um, in life a lot is if you surround yourself with the right people, people who are going to support you and back you up and, and be your hype peoples, uh, then, you know, you're, you're, you're in the clear, you know, there's, there's nothing you can't really do. Yeah. hundred percent. And you know, that's, you know, that's by erasure. Like that's oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. <laughs> like just cause like you are this, just cause you get with somebody of the opposite gender does not erase your attraction to the other gender. Like to get, you know, nuance woke here. Just that's not even woke. That's just basic it's not human woke. It's rights. Just, it's just exactly what it is. No one's sleeping here, <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> oh yeah, that that is a whole like rant of mine too. Oh same. It's, oh my gosh. Where it's yeah, but with that, it's just ah, I. I, I hate that. That's just a thing. That's that not I, great. It's not. not There's a not lot a of top ten thing. <laughs> not uh-huh. a top ten. Not even top twenty. Just so as. Do you ever feel like you got that in like theater though? Where? Or mm, not really. No. Um. No. I think. I think that that. Uh. I think the theater. Not to follow a stereotype or anything like that, but I think theater is a little bit more open to open to that kind of thing. Um, yeah. especially when you're 
um, in a community theater setting uh, like Eau Claire, and especially when there's always uh, hurting for men to be in shows. Mm. Um, uh, one of my one of my great, you know, someone that I love dearly, Kathy Wrights, who's uh, my daughter's grandma. She says that the four things you need to be to be cast in a music to be guaranteed to be cast in a musical um, in Eau Claire, or at least in community theater, uh, pitch. Uh, performance ability uh, I forget the third P but and also a penis <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong that's the, that's a, that's just a thing like in a lot of other theater communities too where yep. I've seen like little sketches that people do where like when um, female presenting people have to like get ready for an audition they have to be perfect on pitch they have to be like the right size they have to have like the right hair color right yep. body and then for the males, it's like I'll show male up in sweatpants and a hoodie and read, <laughs> yeah. read a song. Yeah, yeah. Or there was a there was a meme I saw that like right when Mama Mia was cast, oh, and it yeah. was just so funny because I'd had this conversation with someone, and it's like. I spent my summer at Interlochen and I've been taking voice lessons since I was five and I'm so delighted to be playing silly girl number three in Beauty and the Beast. Meanwhile, the music teacher chased me down in the hallway and told me I have to play the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what happened to um, one of my friends who was, I think it was at the Memorial High School when he was in high school. He got chased down by the music director to play Shrek. <laughs> In Shrek, because they had no other males audition. Or, yeah, and it was just like, well, I guess this is what you're doing now. Uh-huh. And, I, and I, I am excited to see theater kind of moving away from that a little bit, yeah. where they're able to say, you know what, we're just we're just going to cast whomever. You know, whatever whatever fits, whatever works, we can work things around. Because mm-hmm. it, it really, I mean, there in very few cases, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And that's kind of what one of our goals is with this nonprofit, is to have that opportunity. Because there are people that I think could be amazing in roles that are traditionally played by men that, you know, people who are field presenting could absolutely do. Right. Well, when we did The Importance of Being Earnest, I remember Logan sent me the cast list and I was like, wait, I'm playing a man's role. All right. Cool. Yeah. And and we purposely like flipped a lot of those roles, but that was like really something that made me happy and feel validated and seen as a actor. Yeah, and you've been a part of productions too that we've yeah, done for like Speck of Dust, where Thieves we and Bad flipped. Bad Lies, the yeah. product. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Where we cast um, our our friend Zach as uh, the daughter, and that was yeah. So it's just like it's it don't matter, man. Mm-hmm. Gender's dead, and so am I on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel, at least. I was gonna say same. It's yeah. I I am very proud of like us wanting to get into that set of being like it depends on what you do talent wise and what you want to do and what we feel like you could grow as a performer as rather than this role calls for a man to play it. Well, I mean Shakespeare. Shakespeare did it for how you know theater in general did it for how many hundreds of years before finally saying yeah we can let women play roles too i guess and yeah, you know i think now I guess. I guess we're just kind of swinging to the other side where it's like yeah, it doesn't matter who plays what role as long as mm-hmm. the show's good yeah exactly i still think that there's like a line especially if it's like for somebody who's like a person of color like i'm not going to go be involved in like an all-white production of fences like dear god no <laughs> <laughs> no there's a line 
You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like the, there, there are shows where it's very clear you need to cast specific people for specific roles. Yeah. Especially regarding people of color. Yeah, 100%. Like, we're not talking about, like, that sort of thing. No, no. <laughs> we're talking about, no, like... No, there's a, there's a lot of shows out there where you could have anybody who has that talent play that role. Yeah. And it, I just like that it's getting to that point where people are realizing that and not going, well, this role has to be a man. Yeah. Like, I have a friend of mine, he really wants to... Like, a dream role of his is to play... God, what's that girl's name in Les Mis? Um, Odette. No. Closet. Closet. That one. And he has an amazing, like, tenor pitch. Like, I don't know what it's called. I'm not a music person. Uh, falsetto. Falsetto. Thank yeah. you. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm not. A, I don't know. I'm the resident music expert. Ask me all the questions. Yes, yeah, she is. I'll see if I remember them I from college classes. So... Actually, going back on topic now on performing, <laughs> compared to, so you have an album. Yes. And Everybody is having so much fun. So when you were making that album, how did you, how would you compare that to like doing your comedy on that album compared to like just doing comedy for like you were saying earlier, like perfor- like the plus of like a performing night? I would say it's, it follows a little bit more of a script. Um, you know, when you're doing an album, you want it to, to flow a little bit. A lot of times uh, comics will have a concept to the album, um, for especially for everybody is having so much fun. The concept of that album was talking a little bit about um, dealing with, you know, maybe darker issues in life that people say, oh, maybe don't necessarily talk about that. You know, um, the end of the album, uh, I talk about how uh, in October of 2014, I actually had, had a suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. And and some of the things that sort of steered me away from that and, and saved me from doing that. And so um, there's sort of this underlying darkness on this album uh, dealing with things that were going on in life, in my life, uh, issues there. Um, I have an hour set called At One With Nature where it's all jokes about how weird animals and nature can be. Um, you know, there's a really great uh, comedian, Sean White, out of Chicago, whose album Dead and Gone um, was all about uh, the divorce he was going through <laughs> while at the same time dealing with three out of his four, uh, three out of members of his family dying within the span of a year. Oh <laughs> um, and so uh, when you're when you're prepping for an album um, like that, there's a lot of practice, a lot of running through things because you want the flow to go a certain way you know there's there's a way you want it to sound it's like if pink floyd had recorded dark side of the moon and just kind of did whatever they wanted to it wouldn't be as tight or as good um not that i'm comparing anything to dark side of the moon <laughs> you know. um, but you know there, there's that concept to it that you that you want to follow that path and so uh as opposed to when you're just saying like oh hey i'm doing an hour set at, at the plus for instance you know, depending on, you know, whether or not I'm working on a new album or whether or not I've, you know, written a lot of new jokes or whether or not it's going to be a lot of people that are seeing me for the first time. And, hey, that gives me the opportunity to break out some jokes that I know are, are good heavy hitters that people will like, um, jokes that I know succeed and do well. Uh, that's where the difference really lies okay. you know, in that. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know... For it's always amazing to talk to you. Oh well, I enjoy talking to you guys. Aww. So, 
along with that album, where can people find it? And tell us if you got any upcoming, uh, like, if you don't have any upcoming events, it's okay. But Yeah, well, uh, so that album is on Spotify. I still get, uh, and of course, that album has almost been out for five, it has been out for five years now, end of the month here. Um, it released the same weekend as just as Boney Vera's 22 a million. Um, <laughs> I think his did a little bit better than mine. Um, just a little bit. But, uh, but, you know, I still get updates on it. I'm still crushing it in Belgium. Which Hell is yeah. Really I don't understand how that works. Um, jokes about baseball and suicide, I guess, play well. Play <laughs> it's a very well specific in taste um, in Belgium. <laughs> But uh, that's on Spotify. Um, it's also, I think it's available on iTunes still. Um, as far as things I'm working on right now, not a, not a whole lot. You know, taking a little bit of time off uh, during the pandemic, helping people with some projects. I figure right now the world doesn't necessarily need a 30-year-old white guy letting everybody know how garbage the world is. There's plenty of people that know that already. Um, but next year, I'm looking forward to a lot of things. I'm uh, going to be involved in a in a show next year, uh, right around summer, um, after after the new baby is born in, in February. So that's the other thing that I'm kind of taking some time off to help out with and, and focus on. Who takes time off of babies, <laughs> says the woman who performed in a show six weeks postpartum seven weeks postpartum <laughs> couldn't be me uh, <laughs> not <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm just excited to be uh ready for sort of things to come back and um get back into it getting back on stage i did an open mic for the first time in a year and a half um like a month ago it's a lot like learning to walk again yeah you know like if christopher reeve had actually had the guts to learn to walk again <laughs> uh, <laughs> And like, that's kind of like what I am. Oh. I'm, I'm a lot. I'm braver than Christopher Reeve. Is. Okay. Um, can I just can I just say, Christopher Reeve is the reason I wasn't allowed to ride horses as a child. How long has he been gone? Are we allowed to joke about that? <laughs> I we're going there. Um, literally, my mom told me I wasn't allowed to ride horses because Superman fell off a horse and got paralyzed. <laughs> Sure. Not that I have a grudge or anything, <laughs> Listen, but that is a real thing that happened. Wow. Wow. I, I, feel, like, thought... I feel like this podcast has now become um, weird things that my mother did because the last one had one of those two. Oof. Weird things my mother did brought to you by <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by the trauma center. She's going to hate me. Listen, you can edit it out. It's fine. <laughs> We're, we're leaving that in there. Oh, God. <laughs> She's not going to listen to my podcast. And if she does, sorry, Mom. You did do weird things, but I know I will as a mom, too. So it's fine. It's totally I mean, fine. better help is right there to be a sponsor for the show. <laughs> Either way, I'm Tabitha Tatro. And I'm Lauren Learman. And you know that outro, I had it in a box. I was going to bring it. And then you know what? I just kind of forgot about it. And I'm so sorry again. <laughs> The Performance Anxiety Podcast is brought to you by Performance Anxiety, Inc. For more information about our mission, upcoming projects, and how to get involved, visit us at the link in the episode note.